The reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 5, verse 2. And that's page 1192 of the Church Bibles. First Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. This is God's word. Thanks, Liz. Uh, thanks for reading, and... Um, as ever, uh, well, no, that's a silly thing to say. Uh, as always, on the back of the service sheet, there's an outline which reveals uh, I've been away uh, this week. So that may be of limited help to you in uh, showing you quite where we're going. But um, hopefully we'll make sense. Nonetheless, let's pray. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, we thank you that uh, alongside the most glorious, heart-lifting, eternity-adjusting doctrines and truths of who you are and the work of the Lord Jesus, that your word is very practical, very real, very down-to-earth, gritty in, in many ways. Fathers, we turn to think and consider what a good servant of the Lord Jesus looks like. Would we, of course, rejoice in the great servant, the Lord Jesus, and alongside that, we know how you want us to serve you, we ask in his name. Amen. Well, I'd like to say in a sort of act of strategic brilliance, uh, here we are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and a perfect passage to look at as uh, the Furies head off to uh, plant a new church, and uh, then we say hello to the Stevensons, uh, their first uh, Sunday with us uh, this morning, uh, Sam and Catherine and family. But it wasn't, it was just happened to be coincidence, so I can claim uh, no credit to that. But it is a good passage to look at, because here is 
uh, what it takes to be a good minister or servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 4, verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And our passage today is how to be a good minister. But I'm just going to keep using the word servant throughout the passage, uh, if that's all right when I refer to it, because you have a choice how you translate it, minister, servant. One word gets translated in two different ways, sort of dependent on context. And uh, here, given he's primarily addressing Timothy, and Timothy has a role in the church leadership, a good minister is a good translation. It's very sensible. And yet at the second level, sort of somewhat beneath that, it is, this is a good servant. Anyone who follows the Lord Jesus Christ should be a good servant of his. And so there's very much a primary sense, a good minister. But for all of us, here's how to be a servant, a good servant a servant who is not wasting their life or their time. So I'm going to keep using the word uh, servant. The problem is with servant, it it straight away perhaps asks a question. Okay, if you point out these things, you'll be a good servant. Do I want to be a good servant? I mean, that's a slightly curious aspiration to have. What I want from life is to be a good servant. Servant. Probably not the first thing every sort of child at school says. What do you want to be? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a servant. Oh, yeah, I don't, not, not so much, perhaps. But a good servant. Someone not concerned with status or reputation. Leaving behind self. Looking to needs, concerns of others. A servant. But here then is how to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're joining us today, 1 Timothy, uh, we're working our way through it this term. It's dominated by the theme that God is a saviour, all the way from chapter 1, verse 1. That's the uh, sort of drumbeat that is lurks in the background throughout 1 Timothy. God is a saviour. You get it again in uh, passage today, chapter 4, verse 10. The living God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. And uh, the task of the church is to hold this truth out to the world, that God is a saviour, that wants everyone to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the job of the church. Therefore, Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus, can you shut up those bad teachers, the false teachers who are distracting people, saying, oh, if you want to be godly, you have to go without various things, go, go without certain foods and, and go without marriage and, and, and concentrate on these sort of Old Testament genealogies and myths. Can you just shut them up? They're just distracting Can you get back to the main business? God is a saviour. He wants everyone to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his heartbeat. And can you make sure the church is living in a way which is commensurate with that, which reflects that, which shows that they know that? Can the conduct be consistent? So we saw particularly in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul saying, I'm writing this. So if I'm delayed, you'll know the people how ought to conduct themselves in God's household, the church of the living in God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church has got to be behaving right so that it presents the truth to the watching world. Our little passage today that is sort of broken up, I think, into, into points by the, the little phrase, these things. So uh, chapter 4, verse 6, if you point out these things, verse 11, command and teach these things. Uh, verse 15, be diligent in these 
things, it is literally, it's the same word, uh, translated somewhat differently there. These things, which I think is everything I've been saying in the letter so far, God is a saviour. God is a saviour. Concentrate on these things. In fact, a bit more than that. Point out these things to the church family. Indeed, in verse 11, you've got to command these things. When the church is getting distracted by the wrong things, it requires a little bit of authority, Timothy. You are the military commander at that point. Can we just get back to these things, please? God is a saviour. That's what the world needs. So that's what we're thinking about. Here's a good servant, and we'll chop it up, uh, the little passage, by these things. So a good servant, um, okay, here's your outline if you want one. A good servant then trains themselves to be godly, verses 6 to 10. A good servant is diligent in life and teaching, 11 to 15. And a good servant hopes in the living God who saves. That's how we're going to work through it. A good servant, three things about a good servant. They train themselves to be godly. They're diligent in life and teaching. They hope in the living God who saves. A good servant. Let's work through it then. First of all, verses 6 to 10. A good servant trains themselves to be godly, I think is a, is a summary. But there are three metaphors that really, uh, in this little section. They nourished, they train, they work hard. Are the three little pictures. Nourished for foodies. Okay, so something for foodies, something for gym bunnies, and something for workaholics. No, that's a bad metaphor. But foodies, gym bunnies, and those in, who work. Okay, there's a metaphor for everyone. Foodies, verses 6 and 7. You've got to be nourished on the truth. Verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching you followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Nourished. Keep nourishing yourself on the good teaching you've known. In Timothy's case, since birth, you read elsewhere, his mother and grandmother have raised him in the faith. How do you make sure you feed on the good stuff, not the junk food? Well, the imperative, verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale, tales. Very similar, I think, to chapter 1 of have nothing to do, stay away from meaningless talk. Now, <laughs> I mean, what's this? That's a peculiar instruction. Hey, church, don't listen to old wives' tales and godless myths. And you'll say, thanks, that's not what I'm really after. But remember, that's Paul's description. The false teachers are not setting themselves up that way. I think if a new church began and it put on the outside the church of godless myths and old wives' tales, not that many people would go. I mean, some people would go because some people are stupid, right? But not many people would go. Not many people set themselves up as, what do you do? Well, I tell people godless myths and old wives' tales. Brilliant. Can I come and listen? But that is what's going on. And lots of people were falling for it. The reason we've got this letter is, this is a successful heresy that is affecting the church, rendering it pretty useless unless change is made. So we mustn't be naive. 
So what's the opposite of have nothing to do with old godless myths and old wives' tales? You've got to make sure you're nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching. That's the way you'll know. Hold on a minute. That's a godless myth. I'm not listening to that bloke. That's a load of twaddle. I'm not listening to her. You'll only know it's godless myths if you're nourished on the good stuff, the truths of the faith and the good teaching. It's the question, I guess, primarily for, for the ministers, if I can put it in these terms, for Scott, who is no longer part of a team, for Sam leaving theological college. What is your diet? But it's true for all Christians. The old, I was like dieting line, I don't know if it is dieting line, garbage in, garbage out. That's true of data, it's true of food, it's true spiritually. What are you listening to, absorbing? And it's one of the great privileges actually of, of being a minister is that you get to spend lots of time, like a paid minister, lots of time in the Bible. You can't rely on that alone, you need time with the Lord, but it is a real privilege. Uh, for those who sometimes, like leading Sunday schools amongst us, leading small groups, and it comes around, you think, it's Tuesday night, ah, tomorrow night I'm leading the study, ah. It is a privilege. <laughs> it is, you are being nourished. I haven't got time, I know. We all have those weeks. Look at my outline. Um, <laughs> we all have those weeks. But it is a privilege. I remember years ago, I don't know, it's funny the things that stick in your head, but I remember a sermon, it must be from at least 25 years ago, hearing... Um, uh, the preacher, Dick Lucas, who had such an impact upon this city and country, uh, teaching on this. And it's a funny, it's what, I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure, but uh, he said, the fattest stakes I get are when I teach others. It's funny, is it? It's a little phrase that stuck in my head, talking about this verse, verse 6, the fattest stakes, the best stakes. When I teach others, it's a real privilege of, of teaching others, but make sure you're nourished in the faith. So that's the metaphor for foodies, be nourished. And then for the gym bunnies, um, yeah, you know who I'm talking to. Uh, verse 8, uh, well, let me finish verse 7. Train yourself to be godly, verse 8, because physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. No one drifts into godliness. You just don't. You don't sort of do nothing spiritually for a couple of months and then go, well, do you know what? I've just been bimbling along and I, I appear to be a lot more godly than I was two months ago. It doesn't happen. You can drift into ungodliness. You can drift into believing false things. You can drift into immorality. No one drifts into godliness. You actually have to train for it. How do you train to be godly? Well, I think we've been told, verse 6, you're nourished on the truths of the faith, especially dwelling upon the, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, the mystery of true godliness, Jesus, his work, his life. I think that's how you trained to be godly. You're nourished by the Scriptures. You dwell upon the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you do have to train. It's a striking thing here. 
that um, wh- why is godliness so much better than physical exercise, which is of some value, verse 8. It is of some value. But relatively, physical training is of some value. Godliness ha- has value for all things. Actually, I think I've realized what he means here. If you go to the gym loads, you know, you may be leaner, thinner, stronger, whatever, uh, buff, whatever you, what you want. Um, you may get out your guns, you know, you, you, all that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it helps some things. You, you know, there's a dopamine hit. It helps some things, but it fades. Godliness affects everything. It makes everything better. Godliness makes your friendships better, makes you better at work. For those married, it makes your marriage better. You enjoy your leisure more. Everything's better with godliness. Going to the gym helps a bit, you know, helps with some things. It's all right. Godliness affects everything, improves everything. If you spend more time in the gym than you do in the scriptures, you're a fool, says Paul, because godliness impacts everything. You had to have children of a certain vintage to uh, enjoy the work of Colin Buchanan in the UK. If you're Australian, you can enjoy him forever. Um, but I think you have to, I think, I think his time sort of been and went. But uh, I remember sort of driving, I remember actually being lost in, on a, in France once. We had one CD, it went round and round and round until you slightly went mad. I have told him that. Uh, he forgave me. The, um, but it was, it was, it was the, the album was, it was, I think it was his second album. This <laughs> is more, more detail than I should know. Um, uh, it's just called Practice Being Godly, and the title track was chapter 1, verse 8. And, uh, verse eight. You know, have you seen those fit and healthy guys always doing their exercise? It's better to train for the heavenly prize. Practice being godly. And, and it just gets, it gets you, it gets you, it gets you, it gets you. But it's right. Actually, another uh, uh, preacher uh, who ran uh, in, in Australia their uh, FIEC, their, their, their Fellowship of um, uh, Independent Evangelical Churches, Al Stewart. I remember him saying he, 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 had to work, he loved the gym, just loved the gym. You see the man? He loves the gym. Uh, and he said it's very good for him and healthy. He said every morning, every morning he had to say, Al, no Bible, no gym. No Bible, no gym. You are not allowed to go to the gym until you've read your Bible. He said, some days I'm really annoyed with myself, but that's the rule. That's the rule. Because I know this is true. Godliness improves everything. Improves everything. Paul loves these athletic metaphors. A few days without going to the gym, or a few weeks without going to the gym, a few weeks without doing any exercise, you know. Next time you get back there, it's a bit harder. A few days, a few weeks without being training yourself in godliness without nourishing yourself upon the scriptures you know your mood your relationships with others they suffer uh, so there we go we have, uh, one for the foodies nourish yourself one for the gym bunnies uh, train yourself in godliness then, then one for the workers I guess uh, verses 9 and 10 you've got to work hard First nine, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that this is why we labor and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. 
I think on balance the trustworthy saying is referring to verse 10 and not verse 8 because throughout the pastoral epistles, 1, 2, Timothy, Titus, most of the trustworthy sayings have reference to salvation, so I think that's what's going on. But notice here, oh, well, before we, let me comment briefly on it, verse 10, we've put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Now again, that's just the, the drumbeat in, in 1 Timothy. God wants to save. God wants all people to be saved. It's just always there. We had a very similar verse in chapter 2, verse 4. God is a saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And um, we spent some time on it back then. I don't want to uh, repeat all of that. But that is the heart of God. He doesn't enforce it. He is a God who wants all to be saved, but he doesn't enforce that because sometimes he has greater purposes in not making it happen. You could say it was the will of God that all honor his son Jesus, but he doesn't make that happen because he has a greater desire, a greater purpose that the Lord Jesus would die so we could be forgiven. My desire generally is to sleep through the night until 6.30 every morning, but sometimes I'll set an alarm at 4 o'clock to get up for a flight. I don't like that. It's not my preference, but it achieves a purpose, so I'll do it. And the Lord desires all to be saved. And if you're here this morning and, and uncertain of Christian things, know that about God. He wants you to be saved, to be with Him in paradise forever. That is His heart but he doesn't enforce it because he has a greater purpose. And so verse 10, we put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially, especially those who believe. That is the condition. In particular, those who believe. Or to be precise, he saves those who believe. There is a condition to being saved forever. But notice that the way that functions here in, in chapter 4, that, that is the grounds, the encouragement for working hard. We labor and strive because we put our hope in the living God. The good minister works hard. They labor and strive, or they struggle and fight. You get the same combination in Paul in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. I, I want to present everyone mature in Christ, therefore I labor and strive. It's just a word of realism, I guess, for those in paid ministry. What is it going to look like in St. Augustine's labor and hard work, striving? What is it going to look like here? It's labor, it's hard work, it's striving. Now, it is a word or an instruction you need to hear within your own temperament. Because for all of us, the good servants of Jesus Christ, church, what do you expect serving Jesus to be like? If you want anything to happen, it's labor and striving. It's how it is, says Paul. Now, we all need to hear that within our own temperaments. Some tend towards doing too much. Some are lazy. But that's what it's like. Uh, I'm looking forward, I'm going to go and grab it. I'm looking forward to, to uh, Tuesday night, excuse me, uh, Tuesday night hearing um, uh, Colin Hansen, uh, uh, who is the biographer of Tim Keller. This is a delightful book. Um, 
And if you haven't got it yet, I think you can get it on half price on Tuesday night, I think. Uh, or certainly at a reduced price. I think it's half price. Uh, half price, I'm getting the, the nod from the back. That, that is exceptional value. Um, but it's, I mean, there's lots of things uh, which are just delightful about it. But golly, uh, I, uh, what do you make of this? So his first job out of a theological college. So before he went on to be known as the great one uh, of New York City, it's sort of Nowheresville, if you're English. If you're from Hopewell, Virginia, you might think it's delightful, but certainly for, for a Brit, it's kind of Nowheresville. And uh, a little description here. Uh, with fewer than 100 members at the church, uh, Keller had to work 60 to 70 hours a week, all the while having small children at home. He had to do everything. Guide the elders, preach Sunday morning, Sunday evening, lead the Wednesday prayer meeting and another sermon, teach Sunday school, plan the youth group, deliver talks on men and women's retreats, visit the sick, look in our members in homes, conduct every wedding and funeral, counsel couples in struggling marriages. Uh, in those days, the pastor was expected to attend every girl's sweet 16 party. <laughs> well, there's a cultural phenomenon that hasn't reached this side of the, of the pond. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, Love teenagers, but every sweet 16 party, there's only so much pink a man can take. Um, or whatever that is. But it's just, no, it was unsustainable, actually. And he said, oh, then he went to work at a theolog theological college. In fact, oh, I'm just like I'm on holiday now. Um, but at times, Paul says, that's the experience. So look, uh, if you've lost track, that's just the first point. But don't worry, we'll, get, we'll pick up the pace. A good servant trains themselves to be godly. Verses 6 to 10, they nourish themselves, you foodies. They train themselves. More important than the gym, they labor hard. But let's pick up the pace. Uh, secondly, uh, verses 11 to 15, a good servant is diligent in life and teaching. A slight shift, I think, in, in verse 11. Uh, a shift to saving others. If verse 16 sort of summarizes the passage, save yourself and save others, verses 6 to 10, probably save yourself, 11 downwards, save others. What is he to do? Well, let me pick out a few things again, perhaps a little three. First of all, he's to set an example. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, Timothy, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Presumably there was a problem that with the false teachers looking down upon him, and presumably these five were, if you work through the letter, there are five areas where the false teachers keep going wrong. They get it wrong in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. But it's an interesting question to ask. Why should a church family listen to a young man? Scott or Sam, perhaps, in particular. Why? Got a theological degree? Great. Daniel Curacy, Curacy here? Good, very good. Uh, worked in churches in Cambridge or Durham? Most people just don't care. Do you love them? Have you been through the bruising encounters of life? Do you know the daily grind of work? I care about those things. It's very normal for older people to look down upon young and say, well, what do you know? Uh, maybe not like that. But what do you know? You've not experienced life. We've seen life. What do you know, young man? And so Paul's advice to Timothy, what do you do in those circumstances? Be godly. 
Your godly people don't look down on you. They respect that. Model godliness. Manifest the grace of God in the face of the mixed behavior from other people, some of whom would be delightful, some of whom would not, but be godly. I guess that's manifested, or it looks like chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, don't rebuke an older man harshly, exhort him as if your father, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity, sort of sexual connotation to it, but it's more wide than that. But be godly, that's the first thing here. Be devoted to the scriptures will be another thing. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching it. Do not neglect your gift given to you through prophecy when the elders laid their hands on you. That's the focus of a good servant. Sundays, midweek, preach, exhort, teach, keep doing that. Make progress, verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. That is a relief, a word of grace, I think. Not perfection, but progress. Years ago, when I was at theological college, and um, they are weird places, theological colleges. I'm I'm sure some people survive them much better than I did. But you've basically got everyone uh, for three years. You're just assessed on your academic grades, really. No one gives you marks for godliness or character. It's a a very weird artificial environment. Um, And I remember on one occasion, uh, there was a visiting speaker over from the stage, Richard Gaffin. (gasps) Uh, he was like professor of systematic theology at Westminster College. Uh, he was one of the great ones, a giant. I mean, we'd all read his books because oh, Dick Gaffin, amazing. Uh, and there he was, he came over. He was about 70 at the time. He came over and he did some, a week or so of lectures. I remember him on one occasion being in college chapel. And uh, one of the, the college staff interviewed him. And uh, it was a pleasant interview. And then he said, right, Dick, you've been training young men to enter the ministry for decades and here you've got a bunch of arrogant young men in front of you. Maybe fair, maybe, I mean, probably fair. And arrogant young men, certainly confident young men in front of you. What do you want to say to them? And uh, this delightful uh, senior saint sort of closed his eyes and thought and said, I think I want you all to know God isn't finished with you yet. And in a room of, I don't know, maybe a hundred there was a collective, actually maybe we were all in our early 30s, a bit too cocky, a bit too full of ourselves, about to unleash ourselves upon the churches of the United Kingdom, having learned all this stuff. But God isn't finished with you yet. Oh, yes. What a relief. He can still train you. He can still grow you in your character. Every servant of the Lord Jesus needs to know that. We're not finished works this side of heaven. But God isn't finished with us even now in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. God is not finished with you yet. (laughs) There is more that his grace could achieve in your lives. Keep going. A good servant trains themselves to be godly, is diligent in life and teaching, briefly, lastly at the end. Let me revert to verse 10. A good servant hopes in the living God who saves Well, he concludes the passage, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. 
So it's important that you keep going, Timothy. But you'll only keep going if you know verse 10. You'll only keep going and labor and strive if you have your hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. I mean, who wants to be a servant? I mean, we all do, if we're Christians, we all do in our better moments. But it's quite hard serving others, particularly when they're rude or ungrateful or unreasonable. You know, and we all experience that at some point, serving others and, oh, no one even notices that I've served them. Oh. How do you keep serving when it's your job as a minister? It's all you do. You know, or I will church was a bit annoying, but at least I've got this arena of my life where things go well. How do you keep going? It is only if you're looking to, if you've got your hope in, verse 10, the living God, who's the saviour of all people. In the end, it's looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing him serve that we want to serve. It's seeing him sustained by the scriptures. We think, yes, that's what I need. I need to be nourished by his word. It's seeing him toil and labor for our salvation that we think, yes, serving Jesus isn't easy. (laughs) Serving others puts nails in hands. It's hard. But he's done it for me to achieve my eternal joy. I could do it for him to serve other people. But you have to be looking to him. Last week, many of us were away at our, um, the, the sort of Bible Festival Revive uh, with the, the, the Commission Network of Churches, big old thing, a few thousand people. O- on the Saturday night, there's a silent disco, uh, fireworks, and then a silent disco, which one or two would have partaken of, and one or two of us would have observed. You, you work that out amongst yourselves. But uh, this, uh, I was chatting to the, 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 the main speakers, so uh, Ray Gallier uh, and uh, Jack Sara, both of whom have traveled widely and uh, worked with lots of different cultures. So they were saying, oh, dancing's fascinating. You could tell a lot about a culture from how they dance, Western individualism or, you know, you know great corporate uh, uh, sort of dancing and everyone in the communities, or, or only the men dance in this culture, only the women. You could tell a lot about cultures from where they're dancing. And they're like, but what is this? <laughs> I don't understand this. It's like hyper-individualistic. Hyper because you can't, and yet you do it collectively. What is this? I'm like, I don't understand it. I said, guys, you just shove some headphones on, then you get it. Like, there are three different colors, right? There are three different tunes, and you choose them, and then you'll see which gang you're part of. You put the headphones on. Oh, I, oh, I, I get it. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, okay, I get it now. And um, that's in honor of Scott, the only man who's danced in the pulpit. Um, I get it now, I get it now. Why would you serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? Why would you say, Jesus demands my life, my soul, my all? If you've heard the gospel, if you look at the one who is the savior of all people, otherwise you've got no chance. You just burn out and give up and be very grumpy. But knowing what he's done, as he said already in chapter three, verse 16, the mystery of godliness is, but it's Jesus. It's knowing what he's done. It's knowing who he is. It's putting your hope in the living God who's the savior of all people. That'll keep you going as a good servant. Let me lead us in prayer together.
Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that while our hope is in the living God and we see him as the glorious, generous Savior of all people, there is the strength, the grace to keep going, to persevere in uh, serving you. Of course, the the primary sense here for those who are set apart for full-time gospel ministry, but for all of us also, if we want to be good servants, useful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you keep us looking to him, knowing that he's not finished with us yet. Keep making progress in our life and in the teaching we hold to and pass on to others. Father, keep us looking to him so we serve you well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.